This is the Off Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries, and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, we will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body, all while navigating life. I am your teacher, Amy Kate Burr. Welcome to episode 41 of the Off Kilter podcast, or welcome back, uh, or if you are listening for the first time, thank you. Thank you for whacking me in your ears. Uh, I am super excited to deliver this episode for you today. Uh, it's a hot little topic that I really love talking about, and Really, this episode was uh, birthed from a question that I was asked earlier this week by an embodied warrior woman that I've had the pleasure of coaching in the past in Australia. And she asked, can I still train with my cycle even though I'm going through perimenopause and my cycle is really irregular? And I love that question. (laughs) So we're going to look at how to train with your cycle after 40. Can it still be a tool that you can use to help you get the results that you want from your training? We'll start with looking at perimenopause and menopause. What's actually going on with our hormones as we go through perimenopause, how that could impact our training, and then we'll look at training with your cycle after 40. Uh, how to train to support that cycle prong of your red umbrella and to support you to get the results that you want from your training. So let's start with looking at a cycle pre-perimenopause. So if you had a regular cycle that arrived on time without many symptoms. We could take a textbook cycle, so say a 28-day cycle or a 30-day cycle, and we'll look at what's going on with the hormones. And then we'll compare that to what's going on with the hormones in perimenopause and then in menopause. And I will pop two graphs in the show notes so you can actually have a look Uh, and compare the graphs uh, side by side. And that will, it's a nice visual for you to look at to see what's actually going on with your hormones. So let's take a regular cycle, uh, maybe a cycle that you had in your 20s or your 30s. Uh, It came regularly, it came on time, it came without any symptoms. Basically, if we break it down, our cycle has four phases. So menstruation, which is the bleed, Uh, and can be from day one to day seven. Then we have the second half of the follicular phase, which is from day seven to around day 14. Then we have ovulation, which can last from 24 to 36 hours. And then we have the luteal phase, which is after ovulation until you start your bleed again. So basically, if you look at it, there's two phases, the follicular phase and the luteal phase with ovulation happening around in the in the middle sometime. Okay, so in the first phase, 
from day one to around day seven, your hormones are flatlined. You're menstruating, so they're super low on the graph. And then around day seven to day 10, estrogen starts to increase. And estrogen, which I call the Beyonce of hormones, she arrives on stage and she brings her backup dancers, with, which is testosterone and luteinizing hormone. And they all peak at around day 14. So around ovulation, ovulation happens and then there is a decline in estrogen and then an incline again when progesterone starts to increase at around day 20 to 22. Progesterone is the dominant hormone in the second phase of your cycle. So you've, we've had a peak in estrogen, a peak in testosterone, a peak in FSH, LH, Everything has come on stage, uh, they've performed, we've ovulated, and now they decrease and then progesterone comes on stage and is the dominant hormone in the second phase of your cycle. So let's remember that there's no such thing as a perfect cycle and no two cycles could be the same because of our red umbrella so that's the big red balloon rule uh, but if you have a healthy regular cycle it should arrive on time you should go through these four phases uh, in particular the focus should be on ovulation so it really should be called an ovulatory cycle because the star player here is ovulation. Did I ovulate? Uh, and was I making estrogen and progesterone? Were they dancing well? Were they coming on stage when they were meant to? Let's say that you did, you ovulated, you had a healthy regular cycle, it came on time and without many symptoms. And then all of a sudden you start to notice that the cycle's a little shorter. The bleed might be a little heavier. Uh, you may be feeling a little bit more anxious uh, consistently. You might have trouble sleeping, falling asleep, waking up during the night, uh, experiencing night sweats. You might feel really hot all the time. These are some of the symptoms uh, of perimenopause. Now, perimenopause is super individual, it's complex, and it does uh, have a criteria. Age being one of them, uh, but also those symptoms that I just mentioned, having a handful of them along with your age can indicate that you may be in perimenopause. But what's super important to note is that you can also be experiencing some of those symptoms uh, because of stress, because of a weak red umbrella that you potentially may not be ovulating, therefore you're not producing progesterone. And the symptoms are very similar uh, in a cycle where you're not ovulating and perimenopause. So along with your age, symptoms uh, and a change in your cycle, you can also seek support from a naturopath to do some hormonal testing and they can test uh, if follicle stimulating hormone is increasing because when you go through perimenopause, you have 
a very uh, <laughs> an increase in estrogen, which can be three times higher than uh, the estrogen that you had in your previous cycles. So she goes on a little bit of a roller coaster ride, and you have an increase in FSH and then a slow decline in progesterone. So the naturopath can actually test. Uh, are you ovulating? Are you making progesterone? What is follicle stimulating hormone doing? What's estrogen doing? Uh, and so to seek support from a naturopath uh, to help you determine if you are in perimenopause is also super important. So what is perimenopause? Well, <laughs> it's been termed the second puberty, uh, which I really like. Uh, the research uh, shows and the women that I work with describe it as the same intensity as they experienced in puberty, going through puberty. So we can call it perimenopause or we can call it second puberty. <laughs> and it's the two to eight years before menopause. The average length of it can be around four years. But the body of research does state that for some women, this stage can last a year or it can continue for 10 years before a female actually goes into menopause. So the range uh, of the experience is very big in the research. And when does it end? So perimenopause ends when a woman has gone 12 months without having her period. And... This onset of menopause features the decreasing production of estradiol, uh, as well as an increasing level of follicular stimulating hormone. So we see in perimenopause, what happens is that progesterone drops during perimenopause because you start having more cycles where you're not ovulating. And when you don't ovulate, you don't make progesterone. Estrogen doesn't drop during perimenopause, but instead she goes on a roller coaster ride and she can be up to three times higher than it was uh, during your previous cycle, so previous decades. Uh, and this roller coaster ride of estrogen can also produce some symptoms. Anxiety is one of them, migraines I see quite often, and inflammation in the body, uh, especially. Uh, some gut stuff going on because of the excess estrogen. So this onset of menopause, after we've gone through perimenopause, that's when you start to see a decrease in the production of estradiol. So estradiol is an estrogen, uh, the main one that we make uh, in our body for our cycle. So Progesterone uh, really is the hormone that we focus on when you're going through perimenopause, when you start to see these shorter cycles, maybe when you start to experience uh, anxiety, you have trouble sleeping, um, you're having trouble recovering from your training, uh, you may be experiencing um, like hot flushes, uh, vaginal dryness, uh, some weight gain, depression. These are all uh, symptoms that you start to see as perimenopause progresses into menopause. So progesterone 
it isn't just a reproductive hormone. Yeah, it's super important for our fertility to make a baby. It is uh, termed the pregnancy hormone, but it's also a brain and nervous system hormone. So it's actually really important for our brain and our red umbrella. And as we approach menopause, so late perimenopause, we make less and less and less progesterone. And that's natural. It's a normal process, but it sucks. <laughs> and it sucks because progesterone, it's one of its main jobs is to stabilize the HPA axis uh, or our stress response system. So the HPA axis is the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenal glands all speaking to each other. They had this really cool three-way chat going. Uh, I don't know if you remember three-way chats in high school where you could get three people on the phone and have a conversation. So the HPA access is a little like that. Uh, they're, they're all communicating with each other uh, to help us uh, manage our nervous system, our red umbrella to help us with stress and our response to stress. Now, losing progesterone, this slow decline in progesterone, uh, can destabilize this HPA access. Uh, it can break down this communication system. That's why when we may see lower weak progesterone, it can make it harder for us to manage stress, to sleep, to recover, um, and it can make it harder for us to get the results that we want from our training. You can also see this when you're experiencing a lot of stress. So when your red umbrella is weak and not strong and one or more of your prongs aren't working, uh, this is uh, the same as going through perimenopause. It becomes around uh, the HPA access is the thing that can get affected because of um, weak or no progesterone. So... If progesterone is the key hormone uh, that, get that gets affected during perimenopause, it really becomes about supporting progesterone. So how do we support this cycle prong in our red umbrella during perimenopause? Uh, especially when it's super irregular. So some women that I work with may not have a cycle for three months, four months, and then they have a cycle it's short, it's heavy, uh, it may go, uh, go away for another month or two and then come back and it's really irregular. So therefore it makes it actually hard to train with our cycle and we'll get into training after 40. Uh, but the last thing that I want to say on the hormonal changes during perimenopause is that it's super individual. So just like my red umbrella's individual uh, and my cycle is different to your cycle, my experience of perimenopause will be different to your experience of perimenopause. So first, it's super individual. Second is the focus needs to be on supporting progesterone. Uh, third, we need to look at making sure that we're metabolizing estrogen. So if estrogen's going on a big roller coaster ride and the levels could be three times as high, uh, we need to make sure that we're getting it out. So healthy gut mechanics, uh, strong liver function to be able to detoxify and get rid of estrogen. 
is super important. And then the fourth one is to reduce inflammation in the body. If the there is lots of inflammation. It's telling me that the gut mechanics aren't strong. Therefore, we not, may not be able to make and break down hormones and actually excrete estrogen out of the body. So like I said at the start, getting support from a naturopath can be super helpful and really important. And a lot of the work that I do with women uh, in their 40s, mid 40s, if they've seen these changes, if they have some of this criteria, uh, is that I will uh, refer them to a naturopath to test their hormones uh, so we can get a clear picture of what's going on and then determine a plan to support them. Okay, training. Training after 40. So when we look at our cycle pre-perimenopause and we look at what's going on with our hormones, at the start of our cycle, we can train harder and longer. Uh, we can go for PRs, lift heavier. Research has shown that we can recover better. Uh, we feel less pain. We can use carbohydrate better to fuel our training. And then after ovulation, towards the end of our cycle, we may need to be more mindful with our training. Uh, progesterone comes on stage and progesterone is catabolic. So it likes to break down our muscle mass and it also increases our core temperature. So we are a little warmer and it can increase our sodium losses in longer uh, endurance type workouts. So hydration becomes really key. And melatonin, the sleep hormone, increases in the second phase of our cycle. So Along with feeling warmer, uh, we can have trouble sleeping. Uh, so we can maybe wake up, we might have night sweats, uh, and we do crave more rest because of melatonin, an increase in melatonin. So when we're looking at our cycle pre-perimenopause, uh, it's the first part of our cycle when we have an increase in estrogen. So estrogen is your dominant hormone. Uh, with testosterone that supports us to lift heavy, train hard, train more often and recover better. And then the second phase of our cycle, we're a little bit more mindful. We can tolerate uh, body weight training, lighter weights, uh, walking, maybe more rest between sets, uh, between workouts. So what's actually happening if our hormones are gone haywire <laughs> and we're experiencing perimenopause so our cycles are really irregular they may not come for a really long time uh, they're very different maybe they're shorter yes it can make it harder to train with our cycle uh, the focus really comes down to needing to build lean muscle mass or maintain our lean muscle mass and improve our bone density. So while using the cycle as a tool can be a little bit harder when you start to experience perimenopause and then the cycle is not a tool when you're in menopause uh, because the hormones are flatlined. So... It then becomes about your red umbrella and using all the other prongs in your red umbrella as tools to support your training and your recovery. 
But while you still have a cycle, even though it's irregular, yes, it can be a tool. Uh, but we're really just focusing on the types of training that we should be doing to support our red umbrella and to support our body and then to help us get the results that we want from our training. So the focus is on building lean muscle mass and improving our bone density. So bone loss accelerates in late perimenopause and it continues uh, at a similar pace in the first uh, few years when we are postmenopausal. So the normal bone turnover cycle, uh, this bone loss uh, is because of estrogen. So the normal bone turnover cycle, it's impaired. This normal natural process that we had uh, from childhood all the way up to our 40s is impaired by estrogen deficiency. So as we start to reach those late years of perimenopause uh, into menopause, remember estrogen declines and we become deficient in estrogen. And so estrogen is essential for our bone health because it promotes the activity of osteoblasts, which are cells that produce bone. So when the estrogen levels drop, uh, these osteoblasts aren't able to effectively produce bone. So then this is why a big body of the research shows that uh, postmenopausal women are at uh, an increased risk of developing osteoporosis because we actually can't effectively produce bone as well. We don't have the hormones to support that. So how do we stimulate uh, bone mass secretion? How do we make sure that we're not losing too much bone mass? Uh, there's so much research out there. And the research really shows that resistance exercise, so strength training, uh, body weight strength training, plyometric training, so jumping, uh, lunges, anything multi-directional, uh, resistance, fast movements, essentially movements that are creating power and weightlifting has been shown to greatly uh, reduce this uh, acceleration of bone loss as we go into menopause. There's also been some new research uh, out that's shown that 10 minutes, three times a week of jumping helps support bone density. Uh, so it really helps support this, uh, it slows this, this loss of bone mass um, as we are in this stage. And then we're looking at doing types of training that enhance our fat oxidation, they improve our insulin sensitivity, and they increase our protein synthesis. So that's resistance training, it's weight training, it's strength training, body weight strength training, plyometric training. Uh, this type of training helps us maintain our bone density and build our lean muscle mass or maintain our lean muscle mass. And Training is stressful, yes, but these types of training, this resistance and plyometric training are the stresses that our perimenopausal and menopausal body responds to really well. Uh, they are help us avoid uh, being in a catabolic state. So as we uh, enter into menopause, 
we enter into a catabolic state and so we can lose a lot of muscle mass uh, quickly after uh, menopause. So we're focusing on building lean muscle mass, weight training. We need to lift heavy shit. Uh, it is so important for females to weight train for their lean muscle mass and for their bone density, especially when they're in uh, perimenopause and menopause. But really, you should be doing this stuff well before you enter perimenopause and menopause. And there's loads of research out there that actually shows that a female who has strength trained uh, and done plyometric training the decades before going through perimenopause and menopause uh, is at a reduced risk of getting osteoporosis uh, and being in this catabolic state than a female that has not done any weight or resistance training uh, in the previous decades before they enter menopause. And then are there certain types of training that we shouldn't be doing during perimenopause and menopause? Great question. Yes. Long, slow endurance workouts. Uh, I know a lot of women who are in their 40s and they love doing long, slow endurance uh, runs, rides. These workouts, uh, they're catabolic. They actually break down your muscle tissue and they don't support... Uh, they don't support your metabolism, they don't help you build lean muscle mass, uh, and they don't support in making sure that we're uh, supporting our bone density. So you want to limit your long, slow endurance workouts uh, and do more of shorter bursts of high-intensity training. Um lift weights, lift heavy weights, body weight strength training, uh, resistance training, plyometric training. Then recovery is super key. Uh, not just in perimenopause and menopause. Uh, it's, it's super key in uh, the previous decades as well. And I believe that we don't give it uh, enough attention. So in your 40s, Recovery is very focused and very specific. Uh, we're focusing on reducing inflammation, sleeping well, refilling our muscles with glycogen, so fuel, and we're reducing the sympathetic drive. So basically, we want to make sure that we're trying to strengthen and nourish our red umbrella, all the prongs in our red umbrella. In particular, we want to make sure that we're nourishing the sleeping prong, the food prong, and the training prong. So the way that we're nourishing the training prong is to do the right type of training, uh, in which is your weightlifting, resistance training, strength training, limiting your long, slow endurance training. The way that we nourish the sleep prong is obviously having really good sleep hygiene. Maybe there needs, some, needs to be some supplement support uh, to support you uh, in being able to sleep through the night. Uh, and then the food prong. So you know, if you know me and you know my work, uh, you know that I believe that the food prong is uh, one of the most important prongs in our red umbrella and super key uh, to support our training and our recovery. So 
If we look at, uh, let's look at protein. That's the main one we're going to focus on. So our exposure to estrogen uh, has been able to maximize our exposure to fatty acid oxidization. So our ability to use fat as fuel. Estrogen spares glycogen and it utilizes fat. Um, and so that's why when estrogen is super high, uh, we tolerate protein and fat better. Uh, when estrogen is really low in the first phase of our cycle, we tolerate carbohydrate better. We can get it in and use it as fuel uh, into our muscles better. So then when both estrogen and progesterone decline through menopause, uh, we see ourselves in this greater catabolic state almost all of the time, unfortunately, which is why doing training that puts us further into a catabolic state is a very bad idea. So we can't build mus muscle very easily uh, when we're when we enter uh, late stage perimenopause and menopause, which sucks. But that's why it's so important to build this lean muscle mass before you enter perimenopause and menopause because the body makes it so much harder to be able to do it uh, because of this catabolic state. And we're in this catabolic state because our hormones are declining. So in addition to this, uh, our sensitivity to carbohydrates, uh, our decrease in muscle protein synthesis, so our ability to, for ourselves to uh, create protein, leads us to an increase in abdominal adipose fat. So this is when you start to see an increase in fat mass, maybe around the midsection. Uh, it's because... Uh, our hormones affect uh, our sensitivity to carbs. So we're not as insulin sensitive. We become a little bit more insulin resistant. Uh, and then if we don't have the lean muscle mass and we actually don't have very good protein synthesis, uh, it plays a lot around with our blood sugar and therefore can increase abdominal adiposity. So a decrease in protein uh, obviously leads us to a loss of lean mass uh, uh, and the antidote to this is to increase protein to keep that stimulus going so protein is super key uh, especially as you start to enter into perimenopause and menopause so the research says around two grams per kilo of body mass per day uh, Pre-training, you're eating around 10 grams of quality protein before training. And then after training, within the first half an hour, you're trying to eat 20 to 25 grams of quality protein. And then getting your meal in within 90 minutes of your training session. So this will help support um, protein synthesis. It will help support uh, our lean muscle mass. Uh, and it really improves uh, our muscle fiber integrity. So it helps with, uh, obviously, training is breaking the muscle tissue down. It's uh, breaking the fibers down. Uh, but then to adapt and get stronger, we need to ensure that there's protein there. So your takeaways from today are, if you feel like you might be going through perimenopause, to seek support from a naturopath, get your hormones tested, find out what's actually happening and create a plan to support your hormones. The second piece is make sure that you're doing weight training, uh, weightlifting, strength training, resistance training, 
at least three or four times a week uh, with plyometrics a few times a week for 10 minutes. So you're jumping, uh, multi-directional. It really, it becomes about a movement practice, uh, less about, you know, training for, for a particular outcome, but more around, okay, how can we cultivate this movement practice that really supports our hormones, uh, it supports our muscle mass, our bone density. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're limiting your long, slow endurance uh, exercise and really try and cultivate some more fun, some more playfulness into your training practice uh, as you enter perimenopause and menopause. Things like um, juggling, balancing work, stability work, coordination work, learning patterns, start dancing. All of these things are great uh, to support the body, uh, to support the mind as we start to enter into later phases of our life. Okay, that's it for today. Uh, I do want to say that this is just a short snippet of uh, what's happening in perimenopause and menopause. Like I said, it's super individual. It's really complex uh, and requires, uh, yeah, a lot of individual work. But start with understanding what's going on with your hormones. Start lifting heavy shit. Uh, do less long endurance workouts. And then make sure you're eating enough protein. That's key. A lot of women don't eat enough protein, especially when they start to enter perimenopause and menopause. We have a reduced appetite. Um, and so to ensure that we don't lose that lean muscle mass and we can recover from our training, quality protein, quality protein, quality protein, quality protein uh, is super key. If you have any questions on this, uh, feel free to connect with me and book in a cycle session. Uh, the cycle sessions were created to have a conversation about your cycle, what's going on with your cycle, uh, what does your report card say, how to train with your cycle, uh, how to use it, your cycle as a tool for your training. So to end, yes, uh, it does become more difficult to train with your cycle after 40 when you start to enter perimenopause the cycle becomes irregular and it's less of a tool, but we have so many other tools in our toolbox, in our red umbrella, that we need to ensure that we're nourishing all the prongs in our red umbrella uh, to help us get the results that we want from our training. If you have any questions, you can connect with me on Instagram at amykatebow. I also write a daily blog you can sign up on my website, amykatebow.com. Thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, take the long way home. Bye for now.